1995 was a make-or-break year for Alanis Morissette. Her last album, 1992's Now Is The Time, was considered a commercial failure, selling just half the copies of her debut. The disappointing performance had left her without a record label, and she faced the prospect of being a washed-up pop star at just age 20. She decided to take action. Moving out of her parents' home in Ottawa, she made for Toronto, where she partnered with songwriter and producer Glenn Ballard. They spent the next two years crafting a third album, a wildly different-sounding collection of songs themed around angst, aggression, and failed relationships. One label took a chance on her, and on June 13th, 1995, Morissette released Jagged Little Pill. Expectations were low for the album. Record executive John Alexander, who worked with Morissette, said of the album, Prior to its release, our thought was that Jagged Little Pill would hopefully sell 250,000 units, which would give the label and everyone else just enough incentive to have Alanis make the next record. Jagged Little Pill has gone on to sell 33 million copies worldwide. Morissette became the youngest person to ever be certified diamond in the United States, as well as the first Canadian woman to ever top the Billboard charts. It picked up four awards at the following year's Grammys, including Album of the Year. Jagged Little Pill was a landmark moment, not only for alternative rock music, but also for female musicians around the world. The album has been credited in clearing a path for a new breed of fierce and confident female singers, from Shakira to Beyonce, Pink to Avril Lavigne. The rebellious attitude and honest, raw songwriting that makes up the album have given it a lasting legacy and impact that sees it frequently referred to as one of the best albums of the decade. Of course, Jagged Little Pill wasn't the only album released that decade. In fact, it wasn't even the only album released on June 13th, 1995. As a matter of fact, former LA Lakers cheerleader-turned-pop-star Paula Abdul released her third studio album, Head Over Heels, a relative failure of an album that quickly fell off the charts, and to this day remains her worst-ever-selling album. We're gonna find out why. Welcome to When Albums Collide. Pedro, welcome to the When Albums Collide podcast. How you doing, man? Uh, I'm good. I'm I'm good. It's chilled out Saturday and um feeling healthy, feeling safe. So I'm good, man. It's about damn time we got some women on this damn podcast. You know what I'm talking about? It's about damn time we, we talked about some female musicians and what a group of females we have right now. We have Alanis Morissette and Paula Abdul. What do you know about these two women? I mean, with Paula Abdul... I, I just remember her music being out in the 80s a lot. And, of course, songs like Straight Up, I, I, I really do like that song. Um, it was funny that J. Cole uh, referenced that song his, in, um, in one of his songs. And um, as a kid, I became introduced to Paula Abdul off the music video Opposites Attract. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, man. Like I saw that video as a kid, and I was like, "Holy shit, this is so cool!" Um, I I don't know if it's because I'm I'm a big fan of the movie Who Framed Roger Rabbit as well, so I don't know if that has something to do with it. But if uh, anyone listening hasn't seen that video, doesn't know that video, definitely YouTube it. It's um it's Paulo Abdul dancing with an animated cat, um, and just being like cool and, and hip 
doing it. The song's not bad at all either. And um, did you know that Cat ended up actually getting a record deal off of that song? <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean, the people that voiced the cat or the actual cat? They signed the cat, it looks like. His, call, his name is MC Scat Cat. And he ended up getting a record deal. Uh, I think he did like a 12-track LP. And um, it, it's like proto-gorillas. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, obviously, um, that was his first and last album because it did horribly. I read, doing my research for Paul, I do it, I read horribly. I mean, it did it did really, really bad. And um, it's considered one of the worst albums of the 1990s. So it's that. And then with Alanis Morissette, I mean, she was just so big in the 90s um, and 95, especially with songs like, um, you know, Ironic, which is a, a massive, massive hit, won um, Best Music Video of that year um and at the mtv music videos awards like she was just big so um both of these uh both of these artists were always around uh during my adolescence so i i first of all i think this is the most famous alanis and the most famous paula on the planet is that is that am i correct in saying that alanis for sure yeah i guess Paula, maybe. Yeah, Paula. I mean, some people might think Paula Dean. She's not non Australia either, because we don't. No, that's Dean what I mean. Dean, yeah, Paula Abdul. Like they played that when Opposites Attract on Rage all the fucking time. So, and it's interesting you mentioned that. So when Opposites Attract, I didn't realize how big Paula Abdul was. She was really big. Yeah. Because her star had faded sort of by the time I, I got into music. When Opposites Attract became Abdul's fourth number one single on the Billboard Hot 100 and made her only the fourth artist in music history to score four number one hits from a single album, the others being Whitney Houston, George Michael, and Michael Jackson. That's some fucking pedigree right there if you're up there with like those people. So she was a big, big deal. And I didn't know that at all. Um, And then we're going to listen to this album and we're going to find out what happened. But for me, Alanis Morissette is like prime prime example of what i would call mum rock yeah she's blasting ironic in the car as she drops the kids off to netball you know she's pumping hands in my pocket on her morning jog you know she's cranking up you ought to know after a few ro- rosés with the girls you add some shania twain and cheryl crow to that this is prime mum rock playlist right here yeah. this whole album yeah it's funny that you say that because during uh during this week as i'm listening to the music and stuff i'm, I'm on youtube and watching videos of paul abdul and Alanis Morissette, especially in this era. And then I guess the algorithm just just assumed that I was a, a middle-aged woman because all the ads, <laughs> seriously, man, all the ads were like L'Oreal for uh, aging women. If you want to dye your hair back to its natural state, do that. And then there was just other ads for like SUVs and stuff. And I was thinking like, why are they selling me this shit? And then I was like, oh yeah, I am listening to music that's almost like 40 years old at this point. Oh, you're listening to uh, Ironic, Pedro? Are you going through menopause? Yeah. Here's some medication that can help. Yeah, exactly. So what? this is interesting, and I do want to get to the album, but this is interesting, the backstory of Alanis Morissette. I mentioned at the top of the show that, you know, she she her previous album had flopped. What I didn't mention is she basically used to be Paula Abdul, a Paula Abdul wannabe. Mm. She used to be like a pop star. She opened for our boy, Vanilla Ice, at a concert. Really? She was like full pop, full almost hip hop. You don't hear anything about this at all. No. It flopped because she wasn't very good at it. She wasn't good at being Paula Abdul. So in the music industry, you have these stories of these young artists, male and female. They're promising. They release this huge selling debut, which Alanis Morissette did. Everyone is excited. Then they release a second album and they can't quite capture the excitement. Maybe their record label drops them. They try mix things up a bit with a different sound. You know, they get some 
weird influences, whatever, but they can't relate anymore to their teen fans because they're a little bit older. It just doesn't click. Like, the music industry is littered with the corpses of these careers. Mm. Like, what's Megan Trainor up to these days? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So in, in saying that, maybe this was Paula Abdul's moment where this is going to happen because I said it was Paula Abdul's lowest selling record. It's also her last record that she ever made. So yeah, that's crazy. That is telling as well. Yeah, it's crazy. It's a career-ending album. And then for Alanis, it's it's kind of a career-making. Career yeah. You know, another person on in the veins of um, Megan Trainor, who I think is big-time influenced by Alanis Morissette, is Avril Lavigne. Oh. Same, like, indie rock, sort of punk girl aesthetic. Falls off the face of the earth after about 2009. Yeah, both Canadian. Both Canadian. And do you remember she, she tried, then she tried to do a comeback with like a whole like, she looked like a Harajuku girl and she Dude. did a song called Hello Kitty. Yeah, I saw that. Awful. But that's another episode. Yeah, I remember that. It was crazy. And I, I quite liked that first record. Um, what was it, like late 2000s? Uh, it had like complicated on it. Yeah, and, yeah, complicated. Stuff, yeah. Yeah. So let's if we're going to transition to the album and I want to use what I'm talking about to, to go into the album... There was a lot of backlash around around after Alanis Morissette got really big uh, because what had happened is her new record label, Maverick, had decided we have to sell her as this cool grassroots punk alternative chick, right? Mm-hmm. So the fact that she used to be a pop star with like huge hair and dance moves and hip hop songs, if you go back and listen, and I did, to uh, I think it's called Now Is The Time and Alanis, they're the, her first two albums, only got released in Canada, did pretty well. But they sound exactly like Paul Abdul. Like they sound like ripoffs of of that sort of like '90s New Jack Swing pop sound. It's fucking weird wow. because you have clearly it's Alanis Morissette singing over it because she has a very distinctive voice. Right. But it's not what you expect. So the record executives are pretty smart. They're like, this isn't going to work. Like you can't just transform from a Britney Spears into a Joan Jett overnight so they paid mca records the old record label to withdraw all the old records from circulation you still can't get a copy of alanis or now is the time her first two albums they're not on spotify they're not on itunes the only way you can find them is like bootleg copies that someone has ripped off a cd on youtube wow because they, they want this dead and buried they wanted to recreate alanis morissette is this hot new thing she's still young so no one's everyone's gonna believe this is her debut it wasn't actually her debut album it's her third album Wow. Yeah, yeah. I've read that as well. So that's why I thought it was even more of a of a great comparison. These two artists on their third albums and, um, you know, one makes them and the other album breaks a person. Exactly. Um, and on the YouTube comments for this album, I was just listening to it and it was, you know, pretty hideous. Uh, on the debut album, Bruno Strossek on YouTube says, holy Jesus, this sounds like a full bukkake of cliche early 90s pop music all over one disc. Wow. If you don't know what bukkake is, don't Google it. Well, uh, yeah, I say Google it and Google it, at, <laughs> and Google it at work, especially. Yeah, 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 definitely. The difference being, right, by 1995, Alanis Morissette had figured out those sort of sounds weren't going to work anymore. And she's 20 years old when she does this. Like, she's 20 years old and she figures, oh, this stuff's lame. I've got to mix it up. So why Paula Abdul couldn't really do this at age 33 with some of these tracks, I I have no idea. The opening track is real key in this because the first 15 seconds of this Alanis Morissette album with the guitar riff, you can tell this is going to be nothing like her previous work at all. And it's probably nothing like any other female musician on the charts at the time. Mm. Do I stress you out? Like, I'm, so I'm trying to think of someone in the vein of an Avril Lavigne or a Pink 
that was around in the time as a solo rocker chick on the charts. Not counting people in bands, like you got the Cranberries and you got No Doubt um, and Garbage. But is there like was there like a solo rocker chick before this? No, I mean not in the in the nineties. Uh, maybe I mean in the eighties. Maybe you could argue maybe like Blondie was kind of like yeah. that or something. And like she that. was still like not quite as grungy. I'm thinking like maybe PJ Harvey, but she wasn't on the charts. Like she wasn't. She was like quite alternative. So if your only exposure to music, which a lot of people it would be on the radio um, or MTV is like Mariah Carey, Whitney Houston. They're your pop stars. You hear Alanis Morissette, you're like, where did the, what the hell is this? Where did this come from? It would sound so exciting. And the first like little guitar riff just sets you off on that. Yeah, um, I think that's a big reason as to why uh, this album, Jagged uh, Little Pill, was so successful and then Paula's album was unsuccessful because at this point, it's 95, grunge has taken over the mainstream music. So Alanis... Um, fits into that popular musical landscape um, and jagged little pill. She's angsty. Uh, I guess some people could argue that she's angry at times. I think she would argue against that. Cause I saw a couple of interviews that she kind of rejected that angry girl persona that she was getting placed into. Uh, and she's also working with some of the best musicians in the game. Like Dave Navarro's on, on the record. Flea yeah. is on the record, you know, and then she's, a bit shocking, like in that first, and, and you want to know, she's talking about blowing a guy in a theater. You know what I mean? So it's stuff like that compared to a pop artist who's, and we'll talk about it when we get into the record, like Paul Abdul's uh, Head Over Heels. A lot of it's just like, let's dance, let's dance. I, honestly, I want to say 89% of the lyrical content in this in this album is just about dancing. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, it's what she does. Yeah. She's a phenomenal dancer. Let's not get sidetracked. But it's that's the entire lyrical content. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, it is, it is crazy. And I think that's, um, I don't know, I want to, I want to, I don't want to put it all on Paula. I'm sure the record label had to had a lot to do with it as well. But with uh, Head Over Heels, it doesn't capitalize on the musical uh, topography. Um, you know, she was, she was successful with like R&B and pop and has some great uh, uh, songs in the past. But on this record, you know, she has Dallas Austin, Daryl Simons, who are massive producers, even at the time. You know, they produced for like TLC, Boys to Men, um, tons of tons of uh, legitimate artists. But when I once I one thing I will say about this record that I found is that there's no introspection at all. Um, well, I take that back. There, there's not as much introspection compared to Jack and uh, Pill. Yeah, I 100% noticed that. We'll, we'll get to it. I want to, I want to just, just hone in on, on the opening track. So, yeah, opening track, all I really want, real like you get the grunge, you get the the guitar straight away from Alanis Morissette. On the flip side, you have Paula Abdul opening up with Crazy Cool. Yeah, um, and she's got this like sexy whisper voice going on. And uh, look, honestly, I like the song, which yeah. is actually a revelation I would have several times during yeah. this experiment. Yeah, but it only touches the edge of something interesting. She, it's it's always like all the all the pages and all the reviews saying, "Oh, this is her most experimental work to date." I wish she had pushed it further mm-hmm. because she's so close to touching a hit here. Like she's close to a sound that is going to be very very popular in clubs in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me of a Kylie Minogue song. There's something about it. And funnily enough, Paula Abdul actually wrote a song called "Spinning Around," which is supposed to be her comeback single after this album. This mm-hmm. album flops. She's like, I need a new song. She writes Spinning Around and she just 
her life isn't in the right place, so she gives it away to Kylie Minogue, and Kylie uses it to revitalize her own career. Yeah, I read that. <laughs> it, becomes, it becomes her comeback song, right? Yeah, I read that as well. But this is very this is a very Kylie song too. I was like, this is close to something actually interesting. Paula, was this was a song like this too different for pop audiences? In her other songs, don't really sound like this. But I guess we'll get into it. Speaking of of comeback tracks. You have Paula writes the next track, which is My Love Is For Real. Mm-hmm. And this is an out, this is a more out there track. How do you pronounce, what do you pronounce the, the singer on this? Ofra Hatza? Is that, is that how uh, I'm saying? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Who's apparently the Israeli Madonna, whatever that means. Oh, yeah. And she's putting in these like Middle Eastern sounds yeah. in the background. And it's sort of a trip hop beat, like a not quite hip hop, but it's slowed down and skewed. I don't think she nails it. But I respect it so much. Oh, I did not expect anything like this. I expected it to be so saccharine and so lame. And this song is so different. I liked it a lot, actually. If you slowed it down, if you slowed this down just a just a cunt hair, this song would be a banger. But it's just it's not quite there. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Um, coming into the album, and you know, and we listened to a lot of bad albums for the show. And they do live up to their reputation. So going into this, I listened to the first two tracks, uh, "Crazy Cool" and "My Love Is Real," and I was kind of like, uh, "This this this album's kind of good so far." Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, and um, with "My Love Is My Love Is For For Real," uh, yeah, that Middle Eastern influence is definitely there. And it's ironic that uh, she did have the Israeli Madonna because I thought this could have been a Madonna track you know yeah or maybe yeah. even like a britney spears song in the early 2000s it's just the way she's singing it too it's that raspy kind of uh, that kind of way that britney spears used to sing um but i i digged it i i really liked the track honestly and it's like mariah carey wasn't doing songs like this yeah you know around this time i mean she was selling tens of millions of records so she didn't have to but it, i respect the artistry actually i actually and i didn't think i'd say that about a paul abdul track but it's yeah i actually like it and so then then i realized what's what's happened right so clearly i like it now because it's 2020 and i like different kinds of music if i'm a paula abdul fan i probably would have hated this song yeah i mean it's just it is different from everything else on the scene and different from everything else she's done before so it's like she is coming out of left field with it so and then the next song she just goes back to what what the studio wants her to do and what pop labels want her to do with mm-hmm. ain't never gonna give you up it's you know it's kind of catchy it, it's a little bit fun she did it on the tonight show with jay leno but i don't really? think it belongs on this album i don't think paula should have done any songs like this on the album i'm not saying it's mm. not an enjoyable song but it's a catchy dancey you played in the club i think she should have gone like full emo dark punished paula abdul that's what i wanted out of this album um because i'm sure and i'm sure you did the research too this was a really dark period of yeah. paula's life right she's getting divorced uh from emilio estevez which by yeah. the way fucking hilarious so that 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 divorce had had broken up She's battling bulimia and she's had like a 17th month battle to finally get over her eating disorders and stuff, which is horrible. And you have to imagine when you're a pop star, the the scrutiny on you, especially in like the 80s or 90s, the scrutiny on you when you're a dancer, when you're a pop star for bulimia would be insane. Yeah, particularly for women in the music business. So it's a very dark period of life. And then I, I looked up a review of the album. I looked up the Rolling Stone review from 1995, and it's written by someone called Elisa Gardner. And this is the opening line 
of the review. I, co- I couldn't believe it. Quote, If Paula Abdul were a movie star, she'd be Demi Moore. Neither woman possesses great beauty or, or, or inspiring talent, and neither exactly radiates intelligence or natural charm, end quote. Wow. What kind of review is that? Did Paula Abdul, did Paula Abdul sleep with this woman's husband or something? I don't know, maybe. That's fucked up, It's man. people writing stuff like this that causes eating disorders. Like, oh, she's not actually, like, beautiful, or she's not really beautiful. And all the, like, mental pressure of being a pop star. I was gobsmacked that a woman was writing this shit about another woman yeah um oh and by the way paula abdul is incredibly talented she's an amazing dancer choreographed for like janet jackson jackson five movies she can sing very well and she's super hot i don't know what she's talking about so elisa gardner can go straight fuck herself for that yeah, one. yeah that's fucked up man i didn't i didn't know that anyway as we're saying dark period in her life none of it comes through on any of the tracks none of it comes yeah. through on any of the tracks Maybe that's because she only wrote four tracks on it. Alanis mm. Morissette wrote all the lyrics for all the songs on the album. Maybe there's a little bit of her uh, songwriting partner, Glenn Ballard, in it, but it's it's Alanis Morissette, the entire album. Mm. We only get a look into four songs that Paula actually helped write, and the songs don't deliver any introspective thing. Yeah, let, let's let's tie it into to Jagged Little Pill with "You Ought to Know," the second song, which is possibly one of the best angry breakup songs of all time. Yeah, and you can tell. Just straight up, this song, like a, a teenage girl called Pink listened to this song and then based her entire career off songs like this. Yeah. Um, of just telling a guy that you've just broken up with to go fuck himself, basically. And fuck the new girl, too. If you are hearing like a, someone so young, 20 years old, she's saying lines like, oh, you're thinking of me when you fuck her. That's wild. In, in 1995, even today, you wouldn't really hear that. Like you wouldn't hear Dua Lipa actually saying that. Um, and it doesn't feel as like forced as when Miley Cyrus started doing it. I thought like you ought to know is a great song. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's I, I remember when I, when I was re-listening to this album, it just came right back flooding uh, back to me. Um, and, and it's true; those she has lines of that, like when when you fuck her, she's talking to the ex boyfriend in, in yeah. reference to the new girlfriend. Like when you fuck her, does she go down on you in the theater? And I was sitting here. I'm a dude in his 30s and i was kind of like oh you were scandalized i was like whoa I'm, uh, that's uh that's a little much <laughs> you know but but then well, someone I, think of the children yeah exactly and it, but at the same time i was like you know what this is adding to why she was so big it's just to hear a woman come out uh angsty and just angry at her ex-boyfriend and and just kind of you can argue vulgar like that shit clicks with people, especially in that Generation X uh, era. Yeah, I mean, it clicks with me now. Like there are yeah. lyrics that she writes about, like where you're angry about a breakup. Like you totally, like I can totally get with it. So she transcends that. And also for someone so young, like I know teenage years are an angsty phase, but she writes about experiences from a much more mature thing. Like because all adults get upset, like and things like that, when someone leaves you for someone else. Like everyone, it's a universal. Um, emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, she just handles it so well, I thought. All right. So she writes all these songs. Brilliant. And interestingly, I mean, what do you think? The rumors are she wrote this about Dave Coulier from Full House. Dude, I read that too. Yeah. Um... Did, did, did you know Paula, you know Paula Abdul dated John Stamos? So they both dated cast members of Full House? Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, really. Wow. They're like mirror images, these two. Yeah, I swear to they should get together and do an album together. Oh, <laughs> I would love that that collision course. Yeah. Easy Lincoln Park, Paula yeah. Abdul, Alanis Morissette. Yeah, that'd be hilarious. Oh, wow. I didn't know that at all. Fuck. Whatever happened to predictability? 
So as I mentioned, Paul Abdul writes four songs on this very long album so we can get a look into her emotional state. So she co-wrote the next track on the album, Love Don't Come Easy, but it's such a generic song. It's Mm. just a girl, she loves dancing in Little Havana in the nightclub. I just, I didn't didn't know, and I didn't understand, because I read a People magazine interview from 1995. She's talking about it, she's saying... This is her most honest, personal project to date. I took all the stuff I was afraid to face and I put it in my music. Yeah. Maybe she's a more private person or maybe she's from the old school of like women should be coy with their problems. You shouldn't air all your dirty laundry on a record. But clearly, you look at the success of Jagged Little Pill, 1995, people are ready for a confessional style album. They want to hear that you're human and that you have problems. They want to know your lurid details you know, like being coy, it doesn't cut it anymore. Yeah. And especially at the time, I mean, she's already in the spotlight and, um, you know, I've, I've sent you some videos over the week and you've probably seen it in your own research, but she was doing promotion for this album and she would talk about her eating disorder and she would talk about her breakup. So naturally you would think that she would talk about these issues on her album. And I read that article as well, where she's like, this is my most personal album. But then when you actually listen to the music, it is, it is really generic. Like it could uh, be anyone's album. Yeah, exactly. Like you can, um, she she doesn't say Emilio's name once. No, I know. And, and toward the end, there's a more of a ballad or uh, uh, a love song. And I thought she was going to drop, you know, uh, something, but she doesn't. Um, but yeah, with like a song like this, "Love Don't Come," "Love Don't Come Easy," you could have just put anybody in, in this track, and it would have been the same thing. I this seen an article where she was talking about she wanted to experiment a bit with the album, and um, she wanted to have a more more cohesive sound. But sometimes I feel tonally with the album, it kind of goes everywhere. So, for instance, you have a Middle Eastern song; it's all over the place, right? Yeah, and this song I felt was like a more Latin vibe. Um, I mean. It, it like it references a girl named Maria. Um, little little Havana is on fire. So I was just like, oh, I guess this is like for the Latin people to to jam out to. And so leading into the next song here, um, sexy thoughts. And I could understand why this song didn't do as well on the charts, mm. which is weird because a lot of these Alanis Morissette songs are grungy, but it's for the alternative rock crowd a little bit, you know. Yeah. If you're a Paula Abdul fan, listening to it now, it's normal. Because we have all these, so many different influences in modern pop music and all these producers like Calvin Harris and Diplo are taking all these different uh, influences. But in 1995, if you're basing it off her previous hits like Forever Your Girl or Rush Rush with the Keanu Reeves uh, video clip. I know, I saw that. (laughs) So you're basing it off old Paula Abdul where it's like the sappiest, kind of most boring pop songs to me. This bass line would have sounded like fucking Nine Inch Nails to to the the un... Like this bass line... And you know what? It slaps. This song, I really like this song because it's a little bit gritty. Like Sexy Thoughts is a great song. Again, I was thinking, what, what's going on? Like I thought I was supposed to hate this album. Yeah, it's dark, man. When the opening too, I was just like, oh, what is it? Like, I was like, is this some industrial trap remix? What's yeah. going on? Right, it reminded me of the opening credits to Seven. Uh, I was like, oh, okay. Like Trent Reznor got on this record and he started <laughs> like doing his thing. This song, this track was okay. I mean, the only thing, I just didn't like the hook to me. And that's the thing. The lyrics are kind of lazy on this album. Yeah. Um, 
it's just it's just kind of repetitive like for instance this this uh hook goes all you got to do is and then it's whispers right and it's like sexy things and then it'll be is be a little sexy sexy things sexy thoughts stuff like that (laughs) and i was like oh okay and i was just kind of like whatever this is another track that i was like oh this could be a madonna song um just take paula off put madonna on and it'll probably be a better fit Mm. so it's interesting you that you mentioned the um voices and the lyrics um they're both really good singers i think both have great voices and they both sing meze soprano don't ask me what that means i have no idea but that's it's the kind of voice they have but i don't know if i could pick paula abdul's voice out of a lineup yeah like say it could be a madonna song could be a kylie song could be a like a early 2000s britney song there is no mistaking alanis morissette's voice hearing her do new jack swing music hearing her do jagged little pill hearing her do whatever she has such an iconic voice that like i don't know what what is it the twang at the end of it or something you know straight away you're listening to an alanis morissette song right yeah definitely like she and she she's not all angst like she has nice softer songs like perfect uh, on jagged little pill yeah nice little soft song shows off the vocal pipes but you can still tell it's her because of her voice is so iconic. Yeah, for sure, man. The next song on, oh God, The Choice Is Yours on Paula Abdul. I'm going to read verbatim what I wrote down. Wait, what the fuck, full stop. I think I actually like this album. This beat is fucking great. Those opening drums. Yeah, I thought you could see TLC singing a song like this. The choice is yours. Yeah, yeah. Well, but it, like, I can understand maybe it's not pop enough, or it wasn't grungy enough. So she's like halfway in between, and it's you can't satisfy both audiences. And maybe it's not confessional enough because again, there's nothing going on lyrically in this in this song. Yeah, the weakest songs on this album, I thought, were the ones where she went full pop. You never go full pop. Yeah, no, you never go full pop in these like more R and B cuts. I I thought this this album's great. Yeah, I agree, man. Like uh, with with this with this track, it's back to kind of this hip hop pop kind of sound, like an uppy hip hop song. But the interesting thing is, like, this is produced by Dallas Austin, who at the time has been producing for TLC. He did most of the Crazy Sexy Cool the year before, which is one of my favorite albums, R and B albums ever. Um, he did Creep. What about your friends? Um, the boy is mine with Brandy and Monica, and he's done another bad creation and a lot of uh, boys to men tracks as well. So um, the production's there. Um, I just thought like the hook wasn't very good, and it could have been if it was especially like a catchy hook. Um, that's it. I like, and that's and and, and that's I like, a thing I find with this album a lot. Like the elements are there. Great producers. You have Paul Abdul, who's a superstar, but there are some elements missing uh, that hinder it from being uh, a smash, smash album. It's almost like it's too, I can understand it's too manufactured, too many cooks. Mm-hmm. Alanis Morissette, it's her and this one dude in a studio writing songs. She comes into the studio every single day and they write a song and then they go and pitch to a record executive. They get knocked back and then they write another song. And then they go and try to get a record deal and get rejected. They write another song. It's just so raw and it's artistry, you know, quote unquote cliches. Right. Paul Abdul, she's bringing on 400 producers. She's bringing on 20 songwriters. It's it's so many mixed messages. And there's no, I can't see the actual Paul Abdul in any of this album. Right. Yeah, I agree. It gets muffled a lot. Uh, mm. It gets muffled a lot. And some of these uh, writing credits too, there'll be like, 
10 people on one song that lasts two minutes and you're kind of like well what the fuck where where what what did everyone get paid for um i'll tell you what they got paid for they got paid for hoedown <laughs> i'm gonna go off on this one hoedown i was so scared this was gonna be a country song i was like oh she's talked about it's her most experimental record maybe she did like a, a country western song or something I, I was dreading this and then i listened to it this song is currently one of my favorite songs. I loved Hoedown. I don't know what it was. This is going on a playlist. This is going on my on my phone so I can listen to it at the gym. This is ahead of its time. She'd sort of done hip hop before, New Jack Swing, but this is just rap. Yeah. This, this is a rap song yeah. that she's doing, which I didn't think she had it. Honestly, I didn't think she had it in her. And it's also the closest song to a confessional sort of song, or it tells a story that might have happened to her or experiences. That being said, there are eight songwriters on this track. Yeah. Eight people wrote this song, not including Cab Calloway, who you get, you get the, yeah, the Mucha sample at the start. So how much of Paula is really in it? There's like lyrics like, Rem- remember last Tuesday when you said it was the end, you caught her in your Nissan getting funky with your best friend. I'm like, that could have, maybe that was something that happened to her. I, I, I was like, oh, Paula's opening up a bit. I didn't really care though by the end because this song is fucking amazing. I love this song. Yeah, it's a banger, man. Uh, it is a banger, and it's surprising. It's uh, and it's it's it was kind of dope to hear her rap. It was like a rap singing kind of thing. Like she's still harmonizing, but she's rapping. Um, it's one of the standout tracks on the album for sure. And the beat, that beat is a it's a banger. Like I, th- if somebody would have told me like this is early Timberland, like back in the nineties, I would have like okay, I I, yeah. I can see it. Um. But it's a it's a banger for sure. And then I was like, Cab Calloway. I was like, what the fuck's he doing on this, <laughs> yeah, on this track? Right. Isn't he dead? So here's here's the thing. I can understand why people didn't like it, and apparently people did not like this song. It wasn't released as a single, and I can understand. Mm. Even on the YouTube comments, Eric Springer wrote on YouTube, "I love this song. I hated it at first when I got the album back in 1995, but over time it grew on me." So this would have sounded like way too intense for a lot of pop fans back in the day. Now it sounds great because right. we have so many rap and hip-hop elements in pop music. But back then, it would have been, like, way too much. I even think the title, Ho Down, I can't believe someone hasn't taken that. Yeah. Like, yeah, there's, exactly. there's a Ho Down. Like, surely Nicki Minaj would have taken that for one of her songs. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And even the subject matter, it's about, like, this, basically, it's a Ho, that some girl that's, like, sleeping around and stuff like that. And I think she would mention, like, a girl that is trying to steal her man so um essentially that's what what the the hoe and hoe down is uh referencing the next track under the influence and this is where i picked up exactly what you're saying this album sonically all over the place this is i didn't know where this intro came from it had like a so almost like psychedelic grungy guitar intro which coming off a hip-hop track a straight rap track was so bizarre you say what you want about alanis morissette jagged little pill and I think it can get a bit samey listening through Jagged Little Pill, right? But it's yeah. a cohesive thing. You know who she is. You know her vision. She wrote all the songs. And every song, even if there are ups and downs and ebbs and flows, same identity, same audio print in your in your mind. Complete. This just jumped in from a different album three blocks away. And now we've got mm. Under the Influence. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Out of all the songs, I felt like, to give it a, a positive, it um, it, it's one of the best mix songs on the album. Like all the instruments, I can hear them really well. The beat, I, I enjoy the beat. It's uh, like a new Jack pop thing going on. 
I, I was thinking like this could have been the lead single and maybe it would have brought some of some of those old school fans back into the fold, but still um, doing something a little bit uh, different from, you know, a track like uh, Rush Rush or anything like that. I thought this was the closest to an Alanis Morissette song. Really? Like it obviously didn't sound close. They don't sound close, but something about the guitar and the instrumentation mm. and the way it's mixed, you're right, and, and the vocals, obviously it's 10,000 times more pop. But something like the guitar is, it, it, so I'm like, oh, Alanis Morissette could have done something with this guitar line. Mm. Um, cause, and a lot of like Alanis Morissette songs, like Right Through You, which is a good song on Jagged Little Pill, but it's pretty much just a Pearl Jam song. Like she just took a, she took a bass line from a Pearl Jam song and took, took the, the, the guitar riff and then just, just made a song over it, which is great. And it was very popular, obviously. Pearl Jam are at the height of their powers around this time, but it, it is what it is. Um, Again, the lyrics, if we're talking about right through you, she's talking about going to Atlantic Records and getting knocked back by a record producer and all these old suits that didn't understand that she was about to sell 33 million copies of this record um, and dealing with that rejection. Whereas Under the Influence is what? What's it about? I, I couldn't tell you. Right. It's about feeling the rhythm of the night and dancing. I mean, yeah. how many songs have we heard about yeah, that? Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing, a uh, uh, through line with this album as we mentioned before, there's not much substance to it. It's a lot of good production, but the lyrics are lazy and they're just about dancing and feeling good and moving your booty or whatever. So um, it, 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 after a while, even though it sounds great, it, it's, it's super shallow. The next track, we're going to talk about feeling shallow and you don't feel anything. The next track, I never knew it which is an absolute filler track. This is this is the white bread, no crust of album tracks. And I would, I would file this under Mary Jane, which it was similarly a filler track on Jagged Little Pill, I felt, and is probably the weakest um, track on Jagged Little Pill. It's not bad. Could have been on one of her other albums maybe, but it did nothing for me. Mm. And I don't understand why these albums are so long as you know, Gordon Ramsay on Kitchen Nightmares always says, just do a few things well, not 80 things mediocre, yeah. right? I can sort of justify Jagged Little Pill being longer because there was a very real possibility that this was the only album that Alanis is ever going get, to get to make again. You know, right. she's, She can barely get a, someone to, to buy her record. Uh, she can barely get a record deal. This might be the last chance I ever get. I have to put all of my work, all of my passion into this one album. Paula Abdul... You're already a star. You can afford to cut and curate your work a little bit, especially since you didn't write most of it. You're just choosing tracks for mm-hmm. it. So why didn't why didn't you curate it? A good album to me, to me, 45, 50 minutes of really tight, really great songs. This is 65 minutes. This is 20 minutes longer than it should be. And so you get the next track, Get Your Groove On. It's a fun track, but it's so beige. It feels like nothing because I've listened to 30 minutes of dance tracks before. Right, yeah, it's a, it's just a it's kind of um a, a mediocre attempt at a an upbeat dance dance song. And it doesn't stand out because you're you're absolutely right. Every other song was this, you know, move your butt, let's let's get up and dance and stuff like that. So by the time you're listening to this, you're kind of like, "All right, like once again, production is good. It got my head nodding and stuff, but it it didn't do anything for me at all uh, yeah full like full disclosure i like i don't think jagged little pill is a perfect album and so i did feel the fatigue a little bit by the time we got to a song like um not the doctor because it's another angsty relationship song and we've done a lot of that as well 
But Alanis at least knows, and she's 20 years old, probably 19 when she's doing this, she knows you've got to break it up a little bit, so she'll put Ironic a little bit further down in the album. Right. Um, and it, cause it, then that's just like a fun song that breaks up all this angst that she's that she's singing about. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, Ironic is, you hear that and you know it's a, it's a hit. You know what I mean? Um, so that's probably why she put it later in, well, it could be in a record label thing. Just, but anyway, she, it's later in the album, so it kind of gets you back back into uh getting your ears perking and, and things like that when you know it's it's a funny comparison i felt that with uh paula's album the further we go the more the better the songs got as far as production and things like that like i i think i like the last three songs um most in paula's album you like the last three songs the most in paula abdul's album yeah because it's uh like the heartbreak song it's a it's uh it's oh, all... we we differ on this a great okay. deal, my friend. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the next song on on uh, Head Over Heels is "I'm Missing You," mm-hmm. and I was like, "Great! It's a song about divorce. It's going to be a song about Emilio Estevez because they didn't see that much of each other. They had crazy filming schedules or concert schedules. Oh no, wait! She didn't even write the song. It was some random woman called Bernadette Cooper. She might have chosen the song because it meant a lot to her." But if I'm a Paula Abdul fan, and by the way, after this album, I actually might be a Paula Abdul fan. Yeah. I know all this stuff is going on with her. I know she's taken a hiatus from the music industry. It's been years since her last album. I want to know more about the real Paula. Like, I'm a fan of you. Tell me about your life. That's what I'm getting on Jagged Little Pill. I don't even know Alanis Morissette, and she's willing to tell me about her heartbreak, about her life. It's so engaging. I know nothing about Paul Abdul. It's another song that's like I was saying, shallow. I guess it's nice to that you think that you're going to get some insight into her feelings, her emotions, and particularly the uh, the drama that was happening in her life. But she doesn't reference it, reference it at all. Doesn't really delve deep into it, so um, it comes up short. the The production was 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 really good. That's I have to say, like the production on this album, I feel like it was like really good. This one's produced by rhett lawrence and this uh this particular person went on to produce uh like kelly clarkson's uh miss independent a lot of songs from mariah carey and jessica simpson so um you know the the producers that she has on are legitimate but um it's like i was saying it's like no substance as far as lyrics go hey whatever you just said it also goes for the the next song exactly no substance in terms of lyrics it's all about feeling good is that, is that the next song? It's another song. She wrote it, full credit to her, but it's another song about feeling good and dancing in the club. Yeah, it's all about feeling good. That's, I mean, that's, that's so funny to say, like, what, you, what are you going to name this song? It's all about feeling good. It's, like, it's just like, oh, it's not much effort <laughs> put into it. So, um, yeah, this is like a, a, a hip-hop kind of poppy-inspired song. Yeah, this was fine. I mean this gets my head bouncing my head nodding and stuff like that and um one of the better tracks tracks on the album for me like i said as as long as the further we get into the tail end of the album i thought the the tracks were actually getting getting better yeah i i can't agree because the next song like i thought it's all about feeling good i thought it sounded really dated i thought this was way past its use by date in 1995 mm. and Let's do a quick refresher. Um, so fresh, the CD compilation didn't exist, but what did exist was Now That's What I Call Music. And from the 1995 edition of Now That's What I Call Music 30, 
a lot of the artists on here, you can see you got TLC on there, you got Oasis on there, you got Massive Attack on there, you got R. Kelly on there. People were sort of ready for a bit more hard edge to their music, mm. but it might just be like it's the 90s and what we associate with the late 90s coming through. People were ready for something new. I don't think she delivered it. She went backwards on these last tracks. Going into it, that's what I thought. It's all about feeling good. Sounds heaps dated. Scratch that. Cry for me. The last song in this. Holy shit. This is the most dated song I have ever heard. The opening four seconds with the glockenspiel or like the, the tones, you know straight away a Whitney Houston ripoff ballad is coming. You know straight away what's coming. Yeah. Opening tones are ridiculous. They they're like a, they're like a dog whistle for me. I'm like, uh oh, here we go. Here's a ballad. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, you hear it coming from from a mile away. I mean, I have to say, I I thought this was a well produced song. Um, it's not a single. It definitely was like an album filler. Like it, 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 it certainly would have been a well produced song in 1984, but it's 1995. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it, this should have been a little. This could have been like I was saying. It was an album filler. It should have been further into the album just something that you kind of th- throw away track but ending it that's the one thing i would say it was like ending it ending the album like this i was kind of like oh okay that's that's uh probably not the best move to to do but it's it was it was fine to do so did you did you have any standout tracks uh on jagged little pill that you really wanted to talk about the, the it's always like going to be the biggest hits i my, i mean i lean toward more pop stuff automatically um so ironic is like i when i heard that i'm like oh shit that is 1995 or like the 90s you know what i mean with a bullet yeah Yeah, exactly and i remember the music video and it's it's an iconic music video she's like driving in a car right? yeah it's driving in the car and there's four different types of her i I guess to represent her different personalities and things like that um which and it's ironic to say but the stuff that she's talking about like um traffic jam when it's already late that's not really irony if you look up at the, the definition of it's irony. It's the classic, right? Like, oh, what if you win the lottery and die the next day? It's not really ironic. It's just it's just unfortunate. Yeah. Really, it's not what irony is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, if someone were to ask me what to listen to on Jagged Little Pill, I was going to point out to that um, because I think it's uh, one of the – I mean, I think it's a standout track and almost what's, – what's the best way uh, – a soundtrack for the 90s. I want to try and investigate why this Paula Abdul album pretty much killed her career right. and it launched Alanis Morissette's career. Now, Alanis Morissette never topped this. Like, she never reached these heights again because it's it's often how it is. You're so raw and you give all of yourself and you can't replicate it. But I don't know why why Paula Abdul didn't succeed here. I, well, I This is a good album. I think, yeah, it is a good album. It's a good album, well-produced. And I'm, like I was saying before, and I'm sure... Um, you generate this opinion as well when you hear about these bad albums and you go in, you're like, okay, here, what the fuck am I getting myself into? And then listening to it, you're surprised that, wow, it's, um, it wasn't, it wasn't terrible as critics um, say, say it was. My opinion is that, and you touched on it a bit, that people were just ready for harder, harder edge in their music at this time. Nirvana drops, never mind in 1991. Pearl Jam drops in 1991. 1995, man, the Foo Fighters are out with their debut album. Gangster Rap 
was mainstream. You know, The Chronic came out in 92, Snoop Dogg in 93, Tupac, um, All Eyes on Me is coming out in 96. And then in R&B and pop, like TLC, who are a lot of the producers on this Paul Abdul album, produced TLC's Crazy Sexy Cool. That's in 94, November. So just a few months prior to Head Over Heels. And in Waterfalls, they're talking about AIDS. You know, so uh, it's a lot more of a serious subject that is being spoken about in, in pop music. And then you also have other artists like Boyz II Men and Mariah Carey who can fucking sing. Like, they can belt it. Yeah, like it knows that no other humans can hear. Yeah, exactly. Whereas Paul Abdul can sing, but I don't really see her just hitting notes like Paul that. Paul Abdul is a dancer that can sing. She's not a singer that can right. dance. Which is, it's actually a huge distinction. And as a sidebar, she is a phenomenal dancer. As I mentioned, she choreographed for like Janet Jackson, taught her everything she knows, um, and the Jackson 5, and even movies like American Beauty and Jeremy Maguire and stuff, she choreographed for all of it. Yeah. Um, and if you watch stage performances of her, the way she moves her body is incredible. You can tell when I'm watching Ariana Grande or Taylor Swift, they clearly cannot dance. Right. They've been trained maybe, and they know they know the steps, but they can't dance. Paula Abdul can dance. It's amazing. Yeah. But I know what you're saying, where she's not that good a singer to compete with Mariah Carey in terms of ballads and stuff. She has, like, Backstreet Boys come out next year with their debut, 1996. Mm. She, if you're going to go pop, you have to be better than the Backstreet right. Boys to climb the charts. She's not going to do no, that. No. If you're gonna be if you're gonna be grungy or or street, you got to go full full ball. You can't go halfway like this album is. She's caught in the middle of like this generational or taste change, and she doesn't know where to go. And obviously, she's in a pretty dark period in her in her life. This album doesn't do well, and she says, "No, I can't do this anymore. I'm just gonna work behind the scenes, do movies, do that sort of thing because I've made my money." And yeah, and she just she just gives it yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you think that she really was um, uh, keen to be a singer? Because I was listening, because taking everything into consideration, um, like for instance, like Alanis, right? She had a couple of she came out with albums, but they didn't do if they didn't do well. Like some artists would just be like, okay, I'm going to go back in the studio and try harder and, and rework it and stuff like that, and, and just keep on trucking. Whereas with Paula, she had an album that didn't do well and she was just like, fuck it, I'm done. I'm hanging it up. So I, I was in the opinion that she just didn't really have her heart into in singing and everything. Yeah, I mean, I, we can never understand what it's like to actually be in the, the spotlight and stuff. So maybe she was done with that aspect of it, of being just like hounded all the time and wanted to try have kids or something. And I think like obviously her first passion is dance. So she's like, you know what? I'm just going to choreograph from now on because right. um, I'm really good at it. And I don't need, and she was still writing. It's not like she didn't write music. She just gave it away. Like she wrote songs for Kylie Minogue and stuff. So she had talent. But yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't know the answer to that question. Mm, yeah. Alanis Morissette had a lot of backlash around like 1998 time. Her second album had come out. It was more of the same. And I was reading newspaper articles from like the Boston Globe and, and stuff like that of people just saw her as a phony and people were like, actually they've co-opted this. She used to be a pop princess. They've co-opted this image of her and she's having a bit of a sophomore slump and she never really reached those heights again. Um, as for what they're doing right now, Paula Abdul, obviously, most famously, the American Idol judge. She's the nice one. Yeah. And that was that's such an iconic role, iconic television role. That's how most people would know her, I would think. they, I guess they, they have an inkling that she used to be a singer but she's known as the nice judge on 
America's Got Talent or The Nice Judge on American Idol, whatever. Alanis Morissette is royalty in terms of female alternative rock. Everyone from, you know, Katy Perry. Katy Perry has come out and said it's the perfect female album. You know, Pink loves her. Avril Lavigne loves her. Everyone loves her. And uh, she's just chilling with her millions and millions of dollars. They even made a musical of Jagged Little Bill. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, it's crazy. A musical. I I, want to see a Head Over Heels musical. Paula Abdul choreographing and scripting a musical for this album. Dude, like she should The entire album, the the entire musical is just about dancing. But That would be amazing. They should maybe do a Dirty Dancing five wherever they're in that fucking series right now hell yeah and have paul yeah. abdul do the do the choreographing and in uh and incorporate a bunch of her songs into it as well so that's definitely something um i let's pitch that i'm gonna call paula after we get off yeah i give her a call yeah. blow up her cell um you know how we finish this you have to recommend a song let's recommend a song from both albums here. all right you go first man for me the best song on jagged little pill is you ought to know angry angsty everyone can relate to it and it's so badass and grungy that it by itself i think this song more than ironic or whatever you ought to know inspired like millions of women around the planet and so many female musicians that it's such a great song and for the head over heels man hoedown hoedown is a banger i love that song there's a couple really good songs in that paul abdul album and i'm so happy i got to listen to it because i never would have listened to it ever but Hoedown is a great song. Please check it out. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, as far as Paula Abdul's uh, uh, record, Head Over Heels, uh, Hoedown. Definitely. If you're going to listen to one song, listen to Hoedown. I think that it's... It is not what you expect. I promise you, it is not what you expect. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, the beat's banging. She's rapping, which I thought it was, was dope. And it's Cab Calloway. So you can go home and tell your friends that you listen to a Cab Calloway song. <laughs> yeah, you're so you're so classy. yeah, so cultured. Yeah. Um, and in regards to Jag a Little Pill, um, I want to say, hmm, ironic. It's a close one between you ought to yeah. know and um, and I actually like Mary Jane as well. You like Mary Jane? I thought it didn't do it for yeah. me. I'm not into ballads. Yeah, so. I I thought it was I thought it was dope. Maybe it was because of the way it's structured in the album, kind of like brought it down a bit. Um, but I'm I'm gonna have to choose ironic just because I think. It's synonymous with a classic music video. It is poppy. It, it's alternative rock, but it still has pop. Yeah, undeniably. Yeah, poppy elements to it. The lyrics are funny all the way through, like we were saying, you um, with all those different scenarios. But the hook has that angsty, angry girl, quote unquote, vibe to it, which um, I feel like encompasses the whole album. The angry girl pop song but she's still rocking a guitar and and all these things. So I think um, it encompasses the whole album, Jag a Little Pill. So um, I'm glad that we got to listen to this poll. I'm up, really uh, glad. Abdul. And I'm, I'm sad that it yeah. sort of put her off, it scared her off making music ever again because she, she she didn't deserve that. No, no, exactly. So, also, um, fuck Elisa Gardner. Whoever wrote that article, Elisa Gardner, go fuck yourself. A good thing about about the podcast is that for people listening, here's your opportunity to rediscover albums that you know weren't popular at the time and search them out for yourself, man. And uh, I'll, I'll recommend checking out this uh, Head Over Heels. Absolutely, man. I'll catch you next week. See ya. Bye.
Roll and roll and roll. Roll and roll and roll. We're going to do a Limp Bizkit. Yeah. We're going to do a Limp Bizkit album. I know. Especially how far they fell. That's going on the end of the episode.